everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Let's Partner, a podcast brought to you by the National Association for Professional Development Schools. We are so excited today because we have two amazing authors with us from the book, Clinically Based Teacher Education in Action, Cases from Professional Development Schools. I'm Dr. Rebecca Westburns. I'm the Bill Harold Endowed Professor and the Director of Clinical Practice and Educational Partnerships for the College of Education and Human Services at the University of North Florida. And I'm also president of the National Association for Professional Development Schools. I'd like to introduce my colleague, Eva Guerin. Eva, take it away. Hi, everyone. It's so good to see you today. I'm Eva Guerin. I'm a professor of literacy at Bowie State University, where I coordinate our professional development school network. And I'm also the co-editor of PDS Partners Bridging Research to Practice. So like we said, we have two great authors here who are going to talk about their case. Um, Dr. Jim Nolan, can you start us off? Sure. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be with you. I'm Jim Nolan. I'm a professor emeritus from Penn State University. Prior to retiring, I was the Henry Hermanowitz Professor of Teacher Education and the co-director of our elementary school partnership with the State College Area School District. So excited to have you and your colleague, Dr. Kelly Mark. Hi there. Um, so I'm Kelly Mark, and currently I'm the elementary principal at Coral Street Elementary School in the State College Area School District. Um, I received my PhD from Penn State and focused my work in um, the Professional Development School Partnership uh, there and uh, studying mentors and their practices. And I'm pretty passionate about uh, teacher preparation. That's wonderful. So Eva, do you wanna share with our listeners a little bit about um, the book and the structure of it before we get started with our interview today? Well, I have to start off by saying I love this book and I use it all the time. When uh, Becky and I talked about uh, co-editing this book, what we wanted it to be was a usable live book that you could use um, throughout your work with uh, professional development schools and beyond. So we have three cases in each of our um, of the nine essentials. We have over a hundred authors from around the world. So we have authors from Israel, from Switzerland, from the Bahamas, as well as um, other um, universities in the United States. Each chapter is organized with a robust introduction to not only the essentials, but um, in giving you a glimpse of what you'll be reading in that, um, about that case, about each of the three cases. Then at the end, we have discussion questions and professional development opportunities. Our hope was that this book would really be like a manual, like an instructional um, resource for you and that you wouldn't have to necessarily read it in a progression. But best of all, we start this book off with two cases that demonstrate that the nine essentials are intertwined, that it's really hard to tease out one essential. And we end the book with a chapter on equity and social justice in professional development schools. Because when we wrote this book, we were only using the original nine essentials. It was before the 2018, I'm sorry, I think it's 2018-19 um, nine essentials were um, ratified. Yeah, so if you're curious about the nine essentials or you're not sure what we're talking about, 
you can visit www.napds.org, click on the about and click on nine essentials. And there you can get a free electronic copy of the nine essentials. This is a guiding document that helps people understand um, how a professional development school is different from any old school university partnership. So we encourage you to check that out. But today we're gonna to focus on one essential. It's essential eight. Even I fight over this one because we love essential eight. It is about boundary spanning roles. It's one of the very unique characteristics um, that and structures that actually really helps uh, a partnership um, flourish. I, I truly think without them, it, it's impossible to really have a professional development school. So we are excited now to talk with um, Dr. Nolan and Dr. Mark about their innovative boundary spanning roles. So uh, without further ado, can you all give us three highlights of your professional development school so we can get a sense of what your PDS looks like? Sure, I'm happy to take that one. So the first one, um, I think we would like to highlight our boundary spanning role, which we call a professional development associate or a PDA. Um, and in our context, we changed some vocabulary. So a traditional student teaching supervisor um, is referred to as a PDA, a professional development associate. And that, um, that name can be applied to um, veteran, a veteran teacher who might fill that role, graduate students at the university, um, faculty members at the university. Um, we're really, uh, we wanted to really separate that from what a traditional model might look like. Um, and it also gives um, emphasis to our focus on professional development, learning for all. Um, another that leads me to my next highlight. So we really do value that learning from, from all members who are part of the PDS. So um, students in the elementary classrooms, the undergraduates who are learning to be teachers, veteran teachers who may be serving as mentors or might be um, taking a course or doing some learning in some way, graduate students who work with the program during their time at the university, and as well as the faculty members, both fixed and tenure track. Um, so we really do value that learning for everybody. The third piece we wanted to highlight is the structure of the overall program. So um, it follows the calendar of a, of a school district uh, year. So interns, the undergraduate students are arriving in August when teachers would report back to their classrooms and um, seeing all the ins and outs of how the year starts. In the fall, undergraduates are taking their methods um, while they're also in the classroom. So four days a week, they're in their uh, internship placement. One day a week, they're out of the classroom taking their methods um, courses somewhere in the school district. So not going back to the, the campus, they're, they're taking it somewhere in an elementary school building. Um, and then in the spring, they are doing full-time teaching, um, like a traditional kind of model. Um, so that setup allows for just the, the learning um, to be applied from classroom right into there with their elementary students the next day. And um, we also encourage them, uh, if they're placed in a fourth grade classroom, that they have a partner classroom in a different grade level to get a rich experience in more than one age group. Um, and I wanted to add on with those methods, method courses, they are jointly taught by school district and university folks. So there's really that partnership there as well. And oftentimes um, resources and curriculum that 
that interns are seeing every day in their classrooms are used in exemplars and, and in the learning in their methods courses as well. So that's pretty powerful. Yeah, that sounds pretty amazing, uh, Dr. Mark. So thanks for sharing that. Just before we go on, I, I'm just, I want to help our listeners understand your context. So this is an elementary professional development school. Can you give us a sense of about how big it, um, it is and about, you know, what's your maximum capacity for interns? Um, and I also think you have something unique too, in terms of your program, you don't necessarily call a professional development school one school, right? So can you talk with us a little bit about these specifics? The district itself is comprised of eight elementary schools. So we are not um, located in one of those elementary schools. We, um, it varies year to year, but um, certainly we've had interns present in all eight elementary schools. So we really look at it as a whole community. This PDS is a community. Um, our, the certification in our state goes uh, pre-K to four. Um, and so all of the elementary schools uh, in, in state college are uh, K to five. So there is a capacity, a large capacity um, at, our, at our having the most interns. When I think about the height, there were probably 60 uh, present across the elementary schools. Um, so we really are, uh, we're really proud of that and that community commitment. Network. So can you tell us a little bit now about your case? So I'll take that question. As you can imagine, our case tries to lay out in pretty great detail some of the boundary-spanning roles that we created and how we support them. So Kelly already spoke about the PDA role, Professional Development Associate, and that expanded the role of veteran teachers. We were able to allow three veteran teachers to leave their classrooms each year, and they would then turn their work to teaching methods courses and supervising interns. Um, so that made, it, that, that made them teacher educators on a full-time basis, sort of working in the university and the school district all of the time. We also tried to extend that boundary-spanning PDA role for graduate students and faculty members and tried to rethink how we saw supervision. So we tried to change the notion of supervision from just a dyad between the college supervisor and the student teacher to make it a triad with the mentor teacher, the student teacher or intern and the supervisor, and to expand the concerns of all of them towards the learning of students. So we reduce supervision loads to allow graduate students and teachers and faculty who are all engaging in supervision to spend more time in schools and be focused on the learning that was taking place in the school. And in addition, we also tried to expand the role of veteran teachers who were still in their classrooms, but mentoring interns so often teachers are just cooperating teachers and they sort of follow a guidebook that the university lays out and their student teacher does what the university says and the, the, the teacher cooperates. We wanted to change that role to mentor and try to give teachers much more responsibility from the very beginning of the year towards the end, to the end to identify the kinds of activities that their interns would be engaged in over time and how to scaffold their entry into full-time teaching eventually. And we also created structures to support those roles, um, which, which I think is really important. So we, we, we have weekly meetings among those who are involved in the PDA role. We have monthly meetings for all those who are doing mentoring so that they can problem solve. And we also created what we call planning teams around the methods courses and professional development for everybody involved in the PDS. Thinking about these, it's a really fascinating role how you use the same term for all different groups of people. 
And was that intentional? Yeah, the role was intentional in how it was named. I'm not sure initially we thought of all the different people who would be called PDAs, but I, I think I think it was a good thing, really. I, I do. Everybody has that same label, and the interns see everybody that way. They see everybody as teachers and learners. I think that's important. I might digress just a little bit, even if this wasn't in your case, but I can suspect that our listeners would love to know a little bit about how did you choose who got to be a PDA and who did not? Well, um, maybe Kelly will add to this as well. So what we did was the, um, in terms of veteran teachers, we had an interview process that was organized through the school district. So we had a principal who would take the lead and we would put together an interview team composed of faculty and grad students and also teachers. And so we would have maybe six or eight interviewees, we would, people would apply. Sometimes we had as many as 12 applicants for a couple of positions and we went through an interview process. And then we tried to reach consensus about who we would, um, who we would offer the role to. And, and when it came down to it, it was the principal as the representative of the district who made the final offer and sort of had the final say, but we never had a situation where we disagreed about who, uh, we might have disagreed initially, but we were able to talk through it and figure out who could be in that role. And those individuals left their classrooms and were guaranteed that they could come back to their classroom after the three-year period. So it gave them a chance to take risks that they might not have taken otherwise. It sounds like it was a highly sought after role. I'm thinking about um, the veteran teachers and also the doctoral students and the faculty that you have there. When thinking about how you decided who would be a professional development associate, were there some characteristics you were all looking for? One thing that I, having uh, been a part of some of those conversations and, and applying and going through that process myself, I think in terms of, you know, that learning piece is so huge. And I do think that it was also viewed as this teacher leadership opportunity as well um, in, one of those informal ways to do that. Um, and like to Jim's point about taking risks and stepping out, but I, I think, right, you're a professional development associate. There's this reciprocal um, expectation that there's going to be learning. And so I think that's probably maybe where the conversation center around about um, what kind of learning will that person take away, right? And then take back to their classroom and to their colleagues. That was always the intention as well, that the whatever whatever professional development received was shared with others. So. I think that's a good point. And I would also add, we were obviously looking for people who were good teachers and we were looking for people who were relationship builders and got along well with their colleagues and were good team members and who saw their knowledge, as, they were confident in what they knew, but they also saw their knowledge as uncertain and realized that inquiry and ongoing research was really important to them. And they expected to learn, they expected to help others learn and they expected to learn themselves, as Kelly said. So I've got one more question. Sorry, Eva, I feel like I'm taking us a little tangent, but I feel like we're gonna give our listeners a little treat here because I'm pretty sure this might not be in the case, but we have an insider here, it sounds like from Dr. Mark, who was actually a veteran teacher who was a professional development associate. So since we have this insider here, Dr. Mark, I'd just love to hear from you. What do you think was the most um, important or powerful part of, of being that PDA? Like, why did you want to do it and what did you learn from it? 
I was an intern in the program and mentored my own interns as well as probably, and, and Dr. Nolan was a PDA in my classroom when I, I'm sure, knew very little about and thought I knew lots of things. Um, so I, I, I did, um, as a teacher, did uh, a little bit of research with Dr. Nolan in, in some of the work that, that he was doing as I was moving along in my graduate work and, and found things that I was really passionate about. And um, I, I just have such a, a love for the program that prepared me that I, I, I really also wanted to, to give back. Um, I, I was looking, I think, for some leadership opportunities that that administration was not on my radar at that time. Um, and so what kinds of opportunities were there as a classroom teacher? And this just seemed, um, you know, like you just couldn't pass it up, the guarantee of your classroom back, um, you know, getting to step away for a couple of years um, and really then began pursuing my graduate work more, more intensely while I was out of the classroom and then was even able to um, get an, a, an assistantship and still continue my work with, with the PDS. Um, I, we don't place classroom teachers in the same building where they came from. So if I, um, I would be placed at other elementary schools, um, it really was just such great learning to see my colleagues that I might not get to interact with um, and taking back ideas and um, getting, to know the, getting to know the district on a wider scale, that it's more than just my classroom and even my, in the elementary school I work in, there, there are district things at play here. It really did spark these other passions of, of where I am today and coming to this place of, of being an elementary principal and loving it so much is not where I thought I would, I would end up. Well, um, what is one thing you want the listener to take away about Essential Eight? So uh, the one thing I'd like to, uh, the reader to take away is this. I think creating boundary spanning roles is critical. I, I think that if you, if you can't do that, then I don't think you have a partnership. And it has to be two-way. So often we think about boundary spanning as teachers moving into higher ed. It has to be the other way around. Faculty members in higher education being engaged in schools. But on top of that, you have to provide structures to support that. Those roles are not easy, right? Supervision is problematic. Anybody who's done it understands it's problematic. And so, for example, we had a weekly PDA meeting where all the people engaged in that role used to meet for two to three hours once a week. And it was a problem solving meeting. And we we always had problems and you had a chance to benefit from other people's experiences. And when some of our doctor students went on to do PDS work in other institutions, they would often say, I learned more from those PDA meetings than I did from anything else because every situation I run into now, I ran into before. But it was that, was a, and, we, and the mentor, we, we did monthly mentor meetings because we were asking mentors to take on new responsibilities and they needed to be supported in that. They needed to feel like they were on the right track and if they were having problems, they needed a place to talk about that. So I think boundary spanning roles are critical, but without the support structures to help people engage in those roles successfully, the roles are not gonna be very productive. That's so important, um, Jim, that you say that those, the structures um, to support the roles are imperative. You know, one thing I hear a lot, especially right now in the time we find ourselves, um, is that um, even if people want to have things like a PDA meeting or a mentor meeting, and by the way, three hours, that is a long meeting time, right? So, so I think what our listeners are going to want to know is, 
How did you get people there? Did you pay them? And, and once you got them there, how did they stay for an hour or two hours or three hours? Uh, and that's a really good question. Uh, Kelly, you can jump in if you want to. Mentors made a commitment to come to a monthly mentorment. If they were going to mentor in the PDS, that was a commitment they made. So they did not get paid. They, they did that out of their own time. The PDA meetings, we, we reduced supervision role, uh, supervision loads so that people were not uh, in typical, typically a supervisor at Penn State at that point would have had about 18 student teachers. We, we redefined that as 12 as a full-time load. And then depending on your role in the PDS, you might've had 12 or you might've had far fewer than 12. And so part of the week carved out for all the PDAs was that meeting, but the support for those reduced loads came from the university that, that takes money, but it also came from the district. So the district uh, contributed financially to allow us to uh, take those three classroom teachers and move them from the classroom. So there's a financial component to it. And I think you need to make sure that both partners understand there is a commitment, but also understand what the commitment is, why it's important, and to try to share results and productivity with them so that that, go that commitment builds. That's a good you know, as we talk, it, we have um, in, in many ways left essential eight of boundary spanning roles because we're talking about um, uh, resources that come into the PDS. We're talking about uh, well-defined roles and responsibilities. You're alluding to your mission over and over again without identifying it. So this is, this, this is a lively conversation about more than just essential eight. And, and I think that's made it a very rich conversation with a lot of ideas that others can um, take away. Um, do you have any advice? Um, and I think you've probably already answered this, but any advice to listeners about partnering? Um, you know, earlier we mentioned that we really view this as a community and we really value relationships. So in terms of those structures, it is so important to not just celebrate with the partners, um, but also create those opportunities for, you know, the stakeholders who might not be in the day-to-day -day work um, to have to experience the important learning and the work that's happening. So, um, and so making sure there are those um, celebrations and opportunities to share all of the learning and growth and how it benefits both of these partners and just reminding people of that because as time goes on and new leaders come into play um, who might not have all of the, the history and the background, um, it, really is, it really is important to make time to, to showcase that in public ways. Um, it's always important to find out ways to educate everyone and celebrate those things together. This is such great advice, and this has been a real treat. I know we're a little longer than usual, but I don't want to lose any of this. Such great information um, from, now correct me if I'm wrong, a two-time award-winning partnership. Didn't you all win the NAPDS Exemplary Professional Development School Achievement Award at least twice? Yep, so they're sh listeners, they're shaking their heads. So I got confirmation here that uh, we are talking to award winners here in um, professional development school and school university partnership work. 
Uh, what they talked about um, is, is alluded to as well in the other chapters or the other cases in the chapter. And so when, when you look across them, one of the things we talk about are these themes that this bound, these boundary spanning roles are incredibly impactful. And they're not just impactful on the teachers who are in them or the faculty who are in them, but they're also impactful on the students, um, the teacher candidates, changes in curriculum and in professional learning. So there are huge benefits. So if you're trying to figure out how you can create boundary spanning roles in your partnership, um, these cases in here offer some examples, but they also provide benefits that you can use to talk with your schools and your universities about the importance um, and the benefits that come from, from shared investment in, in roles that transcend um, the boundaries of schools and universities. So check out the our chapter, check out um, these cases. I just wanna say thank you so much um, to Dr. Mark and Dr. Nolan for being with us here today. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you can learn more about the nine essentials by going to www.napds.org, click on the about tab, click on nine essentials, get your free electronic copy there. Eva, can you tell our listeners if they want to share about their PDS work, how can they get their news out about their PDS? We have multiple ways as an association for you to um, share your work. Um, I will talk about the two journals because I know them the best. Um, I'm co-editor of one of those journals, PDS Partners, Bridging Research to Practice. And we look for co-authored manuscripts, higher ed and K-12. And we mentor first time authors. So if you're a teacher and you would like to talk about your PDS experiences, we have an assistant editor who is a fifth grade teacher, and she will mentor you through writing your first article or your second or your third. So we are a very user-friendly peer-reviewed journal. And if you um, need assistance, um, the editors and our assistant editor, we will work with you. And we'd love for you to share your action research, your mentoring experiences, um, and other things that you contribute to your PDS. School University Partnerships is also a peer review journal and they look for a more developed um, research agenda than we do in PDS Partners. And um, both journals will be moving to open access uh, with a new editor beginning the next academic year. And if you have some descriptive stories, we want to hear those too. So you can um, submit an entry to the blog, Stories from the Field, because what a great place. I mean, we, we learned so much here today about this one PDS, but I'm sure you've got stories out there to share. So don't hesitate, write up something and submit it to our blog. If you want some more information, uh, go to this uh, tiny URL. You can learn more about our book, Clinically Based Teacher Education in Action, Cases from Professional Development Schools. Um, thank you all for listening, and we will see you all next time on Let's Partner.